Rebecca Jane is the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Healthy, where she empowers health and wellness organizations to launch and scale their businesses and build long-term relationships with their clients to deliver personalized, preventive care. Previously, Erica was a healthcare consultant at the Boston Consulting Group and an analyst at the Clinton Health Access Initiative. She is a graduate of Duke University with a BA in International Health Disparities and Infectious Diseases and finished her first year at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania as part of the Healthcare Management Program. Today, we're very excited to welcome Erica Jane, the co-founder and CEO of Healthy to the Pulse podcast. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. To kick things off, can you share a bit about your background prior to co-founding Healthy with our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, I actually went to Penn, so Healthy was started as a or an entrepreneurship class project uh, where I met my co-founder and we ended up dropping out of school to start the company. Now, it sounds like you were interested in healthcare, at least professionally, leading up to your current role as a co-founder of a health tech startup. How did you initially get interested in healthcare? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I've been intrinsically drawn to healthcare for as long as I can remember. Even in you know middle school and high school, I was really focused on health inequality and access to basic healthcare. In college, created my own major on health disparities and infectious diseases. And I think the reason for that is healthcare impacts everyone, no matter where you live, who you are. And it's a fundamental human right, yet there are so many glaring opportunities to improve the way that people access health and have health education. And so even in, in starting healthy, um, for, for me, it's never been about being an entrepreneur or you know, being on the the cover of an entrepreneurship magazine, it's always just gone back to how do you make a positive impact in as many people's lives as possible? And I think you very much can do that within healthcare. I love what you said. That's exactly how I initially also got interested in healthcare because there's such a fundamental need and such a huge gap for it all over the world, but especially in the US. Now you mentioned you went to Wharton, had this idea about starting a startup, but didn't come into school thinking that you wanted to leave with a startup in hand. So can you walk us through the process of your decision-making for dropping out of school? Because that's a pretty big decision. And I can only imagine that it was tough to make. Yeah, absolutely. We started the company near the end of the first semester of school. I met my co-founder and we just started tinkering around in this idea for offering preventative health care. And this was 2016, pre-COVID, pre-rise of the telehealth phenomenon that we're starting to see now. And what we, we started doing is we actually realized from talking to prospective therapists, dietitians, and health coaches that technology for healthcare had been designed for one-time episodic healthcare that just did not reflect, you know, 95% of healthcare experiences. I had watched my parents struggle with weight loss for 25 years growing up. And they were always on Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers and Atkins. And they had lost 35 pounds each working with a corporate wellness team. And I said, well, this is what healthcare just fundamentally needs to look like. And so we started pairing those two things together, talking to prospective customers and realize that the, the biggest problem before you could even deliver these types of services with technology 
because our providers were piecing together five to seven different platforms. And we said, well, wouldn't it be interesting if we just for fun put together a platform that could help these providers out? So I remember in business school, it was never about you know starting a company. I was going through the classic, you know, do I go work at a hedge fund? Do I go go do something else? Um, but we built V1 of Healthy over our Christmas break, uh, canceled our, our plans, and then launched with a very, very, very basic platform um, in January of that year. And what really got exciting and motivating for us was that our providers were so excited about the very basic 12-point font Times New Roman app that we had built that they wanted to pay for it. And we were like, okay, I guess, I guess we're on to something. And, and that was the moment where we were like, okay, something is going on here. We've, we've got to see where this continues. Now, you mentioned starting in 2016 before more both practitioners, but also just consumers were cognizant of the ability of technology to innovate and improve the historic, very institutionalized and non-innovative healthcare industry that hasn't really changed for decades. How was it building that early adoption? Because I can imagine there were some built-in systems like a Cerner or an Epic that would have been difficult to integrate with a completely new platform on the practitioner or clinician side. Our initial focus was on longitudinal preventative care. And when you think about platforms like Cerner and Athena and Epic and Practice Fusion, they've really been designed for one-time, in-person, physician-only care. And unfortunately, have just become really good medical billing platforms. What I've learned about technology is that all of these companies slapped on a patient portal 10 years later when it became a thing for EMR platforms to have patient portals. But unfortunately, from a technology perspective, you can't create a beautiful experience if you're just tacking on brand new feature sets. You've got to build from scratch. And so when you think about Healthy's foundations in behavioral health and nutritional care, what we effectively had to stand up from day one as part of our even going to market is a best-in-class EHR plus engagement suite because the nature of health coaching, nutritional care, behavioral health is that you're working with the same provider of care and the same receiver of care more than once. And so it just became this very different type of healthcare and candidly approaching a market that was far overlooked and underappreciated in healthcare. Would you characterize the landscape of this kind of virtually enabled, it sounds like very patient-forward, patient-centric healthcare back office and EMR system support prior to healthy as non-existent? Or how would you describe that landscape before you and your co-founder started healthy? If you look at, you know, well, now we call them last gen, I think the companies that we admire in digital health, companies like Omada and Noom, they all needed to build these capabilities in-house. As a result, they spend tens of millions of dollars a year 
standing up EMR platforms and engagement platforms because that's what the winners need, right? And that's what the only alternative was prior to healthy was building in-house. And so when we think about, you know, the, the value of healthy today, and again, we've had this journey to get to where we are today and the, the digital health market has evolved considerably since. Yes, I think that companies needed to build in-house to get the feature set that they have. One of the remarkable things about healthy and something that speaks volumes to your your co-founders acumen in the space is that you were able to get healthy to be profitable fairly early on in its journey, especially compared to other startups and healthcare startups specifically. What factors enabled you to get healthy there? Was it more timing in the marketplace because there weren't many options available, even though there was a need for providers to build a platform like Healthy? Or were there other things that you and your co-founder did in the early stages that really helped you cross that profitability threshold? What I want to do is is take a step back and give you um, a, a brief overview of Healthy history. I won't bore anyone with all the details, but at a high level, you know what, what's happened in the digital health market between 2016 when we got started and today is something that no one could have really predicted. Um, but when we got started, we were focused on private practices, medical clinics, and gyms and, and organizations that really fall fell outside of traditional healthcare. And what that gave us was, you know, candidly, the early years of healthy were a storybook in many ways, because you literally had providers that had never seen technology in a solution designed for them. And, and as a result, healthy, you know, our product was flying off the shelves and people were so excited about getting their hands on this technology platform that was designed for preventative longitudinal care. What ended up happening is we went through this massive, massive, massive rebuild where we ended up, you know, just early stage founder learnings. Um, we accumulated tech debt. Our product was growing too fast. We were bursting at the seams. And so we decided to rebuild the foundations. Why that has been so pivotal for our company is that this was back in 2017, 2018, rebuilt our platform from scratch. Um, made available an API-first, fully brandable solution. And what that gave way to, even before COVID and the advent of this digital health movement, is that other digital health startups started coming to us and asking to use our building blocks for their own front ends. And so you can imagine this is like all the underpinnings for what is healthy today and where healthy will be in the coming futures. Um, but if I tie this back to profitability, when customers want your products, they'll pay for it. And that was a really powerful force for our company and our on our team because we said, you know what? Let's build something that the market shows they that people want. and that that is so powerful and motivating. We talk to founders all day at healthy because we now sell to other digital health organizations. And it's something that I, wish upon every founder is put yourself in a position of being profitable and having that independence, knowing that it's not always possible. It can be hard. It can be, there are a lot of confluence and factors that, that'll um, impact your journey, 
but wherever possible, really, really look for that opportunity to be profitable. That's really interesting when you touch upon the brief historic overview of Healthy that sounds like you started out carving out a niche serving companies that weren't necessarily your traditional healthcare systems or legacy provider systems, but rather gyms or private practices that kind of lay outside the traditional trappings of healthcare with the focus, it sounds like, on behavioral health and nutritional care. Can you walk our listeners through how health these offerings have evolved since then? So I know now you're serving more digital health companies, but also curious to hear how health these API forward options have evolved since that first platform. That's a great question. So since 2000 and late 2017, when we launched that revamped platform, we've been an API first solution. And now obviously the momentum for an API first solution in digital health has grown tremendously in the past couple of years. But the product has really been about, again, those fundamentals of what do you need to prop up and scale virtual first collaborative care? So when you think about it in a nutshell, you need to have a beautiful patient onboarding experience. So the type form esque quiz of everyone just, you know, filling out their name, their location, their type of work they want done, where they live, insurance, popping that into a robust, dynamic calendar. The, uh, anyone who's in product uh, who has built out a calendar listening to this will understand that a calendar is the most important, but one of the hardest features to get right. I would say with full confidence, Healthy has the best healthcare calendar on the market um, because we've listened to and heard all of the tiny little permeations of booking cross-state, cross-time zone, um, different office locations. You can be in location A and do a telehealth at the same time, but you can't be in location A and location B. So you need to have all of these like nitty gritty calendar details out there. Then you need an EMR platform. You need to have charting. You need to have tie-ins to ERX and eLabs. Then you need billing. And then you need an engagement suite for ongoing collaboration and care, right? So those are the fundamental building blocks. What's been really fun is on top of that, we've built out and continue to build out a marketplace of other tools that our digital health organizations use. I think the last generation of EMR platforms, I look at Epic as being that pinnacle example, they created they created walls. They didn't want intentionally to integrate with other platforms and solutions because that was part of their business moat. And we at Healthy really have taken the approach of we've got to build bridges and we really need to work with other healthcare tech companies in order to make sure that data flow and experiences are just as good as they can be. This piece around the data siloing is very resonant because I think one of the challenges even within provider systems is the fact that they don't have that transmission of information within the same organization. And then you run into issues around the keeping a continuum of care that's consistent for the patient, especially when you're managing across multiple different stakeholders, as well as on some of the back-end office pieces around billing or claims. Now, I want to clarify a couple of the more technical areas for our listeners who may not be as tech savvy, but can you explain what API first means to you and how healthy kind of carries this mantra forward? 
That's a great question, especially in digital health, where there are so many buzzwords being thrown around right now, headless EMR being the classic one. Um, the way that I view the value of being an API-first platform is that you can use Healthy very successfully without ever writing a single line of code against it. If you're a digital healthcare organization, you're still figuring out your product market fit, or maybe you have devs, but they're focused on other resources, you can use our out-of-the-box web and mobile platform for organizations and for clients, no questions asked. But the value of having an API-first platform like Healthy and knowing that you have it in your back pocket to do that is that we make available the exact same API that we use to build Healthy to our customers. As a result, you're able to build against our platform, our APIs, and make calls to our system such that you can build out your own front ends. You can tie features together. So you can build out automations. You can pull whatever data you want from the healthy platform into your own BI layer for an analytics reporting, um, connect into your own data warehouse. The applications for that are endless, but it's not a requirement to going live and getting um, getting value from the platform. And so that's what I, I, I think is really powerful about being an API first platform while not only being only headless. Because what we are finding is that most of our organizations prefer this hybrid of leveraging our out-of-the-box DUI, getting going, getting started, figuring out what they want. And then if needed, as needed, and over time, we see this in the progression of companies, build out your own pieces, but only the pieces, aka you know, the patient experience or the analytics platform that make your business special and unique. Does this kind of also help address startups where because of funding shortages or wanting to put resources into non-technical areas and understanding how expensive a truly technical human capital resource on the team can be that it enables kind of earlier stage startups who may not have a technical founder or a CTO to kind of take the out of the box healthy offering, start working with it and start to launch their business. And then as they become more sophisticated and maybe require some of these more bespoke add-ons that they can then leverage the API that Healthy provides to kind of add on. Is that kind of how you see this hybrid solution working for a lot of these earlier stage healthcare startups? I will say yes, but that philosophy doesn't is not limited to early stage startups. We work with unicorns that have made this decision to leverage our platform instead of building the core building blocks in-house. Because I think no matter how many resources you have at your disposal, it's really important to focus on what makes you unique and special versus rebuilding core infrastructure. Otherwise, you're going to end up spending and pouring tens of millions of dollars into something that's non-differentiated. I always go back to like that is that's part of your, you know, that's a disadvantage when you think about other players in the market, your peers and competitors, and also just about company prioritization of resources. It's never going to be special to have to own the calendar or own the EMR. You need to be able to have a calendar or an EMR or an engagement platform 
that works and fits what you need. But it allows our organizations of all sizes to focus on clinical ops, clinical experiences, patient outcomes, um, customer acquisition, payer provider partnerships. There are so many other amazing things that our customers need to focus on, independent of uh, size and stage of the company. And from a technical perspective, are all the out of the box and functionality, I know specifically this calendar that's so difficult to get right and nuanced, are those built from scratch on the healthy side? So not leveraging existing systems like Google Calendar or other programs? We've been building in-house. So we have have all of this built in-house. We integrate with Google Calendar and it's important to have a two-way sync in case uh, clinicians and providers use those calendars. But absolutely, it's, it's built in-house. And walking us through kind of how you provide these solutions with customers, is there specific stakeholders on customer teams, so i.e. clinicians or administration that Healthy works more closely? Because I would imagine there's perhaps state-by-state regulatory differences or requirements or customizations that various customers need. Great question. I, I really think of it as a Venn diagram between well, four categories of stakeholders, what's called three primary and one secondary. So on the organization side, healthy has to be loved by clinicians, product teams, and developers, right? And and the way we go through that at healthy is to say, well, clinicians need to log in, know, and love the platform, enjoy charting in there, enjoy looking at chat, enjoy creating care plans, whatever those features are. Otherwise, it doesn't really set up the product teams for success because then they're spending their time fielding feedback. Product teams need to be able to answer the questions of, does it allow me to experiment with my three strategic initiatives? And developers, they need to have a beautiful developer experience. The docs need to feel easy to read, manageable, fun to explore. Um, so we really do view those as, as the three core audiences. And the secondary audience is the patients. We have to create those beautiful experiences for the patients as well. And we've always looked at platforms like Facebook and Instagram as being the inspiration for what a good client experience needs to really feel like and look like, because those are the platforms that have done an unreal job with setting the foundation for good UI and UX. And, and so going back to how we at Healthy feel, a part of that is that through our organizations, we need to allow them to create beautiful patient experiences. Um, so it is a really complicated product and, and offering. And given now that there's more proliferation of healthcare, health tech companies, are there any common protocols or workflows that are shared across organizations looking to solve similar problems or deliver similar care experiences so that others don't have to reinvent the wheel? Or are the customizations kind of copyrighted and proprietary so they're not actually shared between different customers? We at Healthy aren't prescriptive. We just provide the rails and the tooling for how our organizations wants to offer their care. You know, we could draw themes around what our organizations are doing really well in terms of creating those long-term experiences, but every organization we see has their own secret sauce around 
one-on-one versus group sessions, coupling in-person with virtual, coupling live with async care, frequency of appointments, um, what do they want their members to track, whether it's you know bowel movements or wearables or food logging or hormones. All of that is the unique offering that our organizations put together. And now with the advent of more companies building back-end EHR solutions and other systems and platforms for digital health companies, one example is Canvas Medical featured on another Pulse podcast episode. How would you characterize what differentiates healthy within this backdrop? What I'd say overall is that this is a good thing because all of us are going to push forward healthcare innovation and empower the next generation of healthcare technology to deliver better healthcare experiences. And what we're building goes far beyond healthy as a company. We need to empower every other innovative healthcare founder to focus on what makes their company successful, because that means that healthcare in America will be better off. And that is how I genuinely feel about every single health tech company that's coming into market is that we all need to succeed for the betterment of our society. The way we've always viewed healthy's place in that is going back to that principle of longitudinal care, where the same provider and the same receiver of care are working together more than once. And as a corollary to that, what we are seeing in the industry is that you're going to have care teams. You're going to have a health coach with a therapist, with a lactation consultant, with a nurse, with a physician, all working together. And that's really, really where Healthy shines. And how has Healthy's commercialization strategy evolved, if at all, since you began the journey, understanding now that you're offering different solution suites as well as additional services. Curious how you've thought about commercialization, especially uh, in a company that kind of services other businesses. We focused, our business today is entirely through referrals of other customers or through clinicians that have been using Healthy for years. And, you know, what what I like about that is it shows that we're providing value to customers that genuinely love and use our platform. And and I think that's just the the, uh, foundations of operating profitably, where if your customers are what keep your lights on, then you will make sure that your customers are are enjoying the experience. And I still buy into that of the fact that we need to build something our customers absolutely love. And that is our responsibility every single day and something that doesn't ever change. On top of that, the second piece is Um, clinicians, the clinicians that get hired by our digital healthcare organizations, they're our biggest advocates because they've used the healthy platform before and they're familiar with uh, who we are, the type of company we are, the people that are behind the company. um, And they know that we're good people trying to do good things. And I think that makes a difference when you're looking at so many different solutions and platforms out there. Um, And that's really been our our commercialization strategy to date. That's really interesting. I haven't heard of kind of this referral-based model, but it makes a lot of sense in terms of building that kind of built-in traction and buy-in that you already have from stakeholders. And of course, we hear all the time that clinicians are unhappy with the way that back-end systems work because they're cumbersome or difficult to navigate or don't speak to other parts with the organization. So having that clinician support seems critical for adoption and longer-term traction. 
I completely agree with that. I think clinicians need to know and love the platform. And that's really where the out-of-the-box offering coupled with the power, the power of the API really comes into play. Because I think a clinician coupled with a product and dev team is unstoppable. They can take the foundations and then decide to add in, you know, X, X, Y, and Z automations or workflows to different email systems to connections with other tools and their tech stack that they use. And that's really where the clinicians and product teams are really driving forward that needed innovation. Now, Healthy recently raised $16.5 million in a Series A round led by Velvet Sea Ventures. Big congratulations on closing out the round. What motivated you to seek investors given Healthy has been profitable early on without external funding? That's a great question. And thank you. Uh, two, two things. So one, the way we, Kevin and I have always viewed venture funding is that it's, it's a good thing to participate in when and if your company is ready for it. You, are, you know what you are signing up for and you know with a high degree of certainty that you're going to have the growth metrics to support a venture-backed company. And that can take shape in a variety of ways. You can talk about market expansion. You can talk about, you know, the rise of whatever trends in healthcare that we're seeing. For us, if we had raised in 2018, we would have missed the boat on this entire wave of digital health funding and digital health innovation. We would have mistimed the market. And so I think it's really important for us to look at opportunities holistically and say, well, does it make sense? And the reason why it made sense is that digital health is just going through an unprecedented level of innovation. The time is now to go forth and build faster, candidly. Um, And so we've been able to make investments in accelerating our product roadmap, building out our developer experience even more hiring great team members on the success and support side, all of which has really allowed us to spread the word about healthy in that organic way that we love doing. The other reason why we raised is that we had had customers that wanted to get involved in our company for years. And they said, you know, guys, the the moment you raise again, you got to let me know I'm in. And so one of our favorite parts about this round was being able to bring in other healthcare operators, customers, and folks that have been wanting to join us for years. Uh, into the round. So that that has been um, a really exciting moment for Healthy as well. I love hearing the story of Healthy starting from initially doing the due diligence on if there's a there there and seeing it evolve along with the parallel evolution in the digital health industry and almost a wave that lifts all tides, having so much more, not only venture capital funding, but general interest and funding from other sources going to the space to solve gaps that have been existent in healthcare and the healthcare experience for patients since the beginning, but now are actually having a lot of funding, but also capable minds to solve. Now, pivoting a bit to looking and picking your brain on industry projections and kind of how you see the digital healthcare industry currently positioned in the midterm as well as near term. You have a unique vantage point because you serve clients that span the spectrum of the health tech industry. From what you've observed from working with clients and as somebody who's also deeply involved in healthcare, 
What factors have you found help digital health startups succeed? And what are some things to watch out for? First off, what I'd say is digital health innovation is just getting started. We are still top of the first inning in the impact that all of this venture dollars and all of this innovation, and all these talented minds coming to work in digital health will showcase. And it's going to take three to five years for that to really play out. I'm so excited to see this because the innovation we're seeing in women's health, in behavioral health, in nutrition and weight loss, in MSK and COPD and ABA therapy and pediatric autism, the the list goes on and on of the types of innovation that are happening. It's incredible and we still need more. And so that the size of the prize here is larger than any of us can really imagine today. And I'm so excited to see that COVID accelerated this innovation in a long in an industry that for a long time wasn't known for innovation. And all of us that have been in healthcare for you know 10 years plus have are really waiting, have been waiting for this moment. We were talking about value-based care since the 2000s, and now it's still, you know, barely getting started, but hopefully continues. The thing I do or see our digital healthcare startups that succeed do is is not unique to digital healthcare organizations, but it's operational excellence. And that extends to all of the business books that we read and all that we see of, you know, stories of what companies have done well is that they just execute really precisely and with a high degree of quality. And we've seen, you know, some of our customers grow tremendously since our inception. And it's it goes back to the founders and the early teams just having that vision and being incredibly focused on, on um, bringing that, that vision to life. And, and that extends to every industry beyond digital health. And then the other thing that is unique to healthcare is the fact that we are working within a body that has so many stakeholders. You're talking about payer relationships, healthcare system relationships, provider network relationships, all of these different stakeholders. And navigating that well is what will leapfrog companies um, from C to Series A to B, C, and D to IPO. And it's it's really fascinating is to look behind, peel, peel behind the curtain and see how and why that all happens. But that that becomes really, really important at scale. There's a lot of exciting tailwinds pushing the digital health industry forward, partly because of COVID, but also because of the innovation that's happening in the sector. Are there any things that give you pause about the way the industry is evolving? I think it's really important to remember that digital health companies are working in healthcare. Real patient lives are at stake. This is not a matter of, you know, A-B testing to get the incremental dollar on paid ads. It's not about, you know, pushing the incremental pill to hit revenue numbers for the month. And it's just really important for these healthcare companies to really reflect, internalize, and execute with the mentality that these are real people with real outcomes at stake for good and for bad. And so I think it, it's just really important for all of us to remember that as we go about building our companies. That's such a salient point because we are dealing with people's lives and you see kind of the adverse side of that when patient lives kind of fall to the wayside. Uh, and it's something that all companies kind of need to consider, but healthcare more specifically, because 
it is so directly tied to your day-to-day experience, lived experiences of patients. Now, given the magnitude of capital going to digital health, a topic we touched on earlier in this conversation, do you think the sector is being overvalued? And regardless, are there any risks with the huge amounts of capital that are going to the industry? On an overall size and scale, more venture capital and more dollars going into healthcare innovation is a great thing for this country because every single healthcare founder I've talked to is in this for the right reasons to create better healthcare experiences, change the status quo, and together we'll build forward a better healthcare system for years and years to come. Now, on an individual company basis, I'm sure there's always going to be, you know, overvaluations, misallocation of capital, but that's all normal. And that's going back to that operational excellence, what's going to separate winners from losers. And the way I see it, healthcare is such a massive industry relative to venture funding and other industries, whether it's fintech, consumer tech, Web3 crypto, I would happily ask for even more dollars to go into venture overall in healthcare. Um, because I, again, just going back to the bigger societal mission is going to be a good thing. In our last piece of the interview, I'd love to hear your story of being a startup founder and navigating some of the unique challenges and opportunities that you've had in this role. So you wear many hats, one of which is an accomplished startup co-founder and CEO, but also perhaps more importantly, a mother. How do you juggle your career with the responsibilities of caring for your child and being a mother in general and maintaining a family unit? Being a, Becoming a mother has made me a much stronger CEO all, for many reasons. You know, first of all, overnight, you're forced to prioritize, delegate, make decisions, and empower your team to operate independently of you, which are all incredible activities that every CEO needs to go through as part of their startup journey. Second of all, from a culture perspective, when you have someone at the top who is visibly carrying a bump, has doctor appointments throughout the day, needs to call in sick because of things like fatigue or nausea, you're setting the stage and creating a cultural norm that that is okay to be transparent about at work, which has second order implications for all of our team members and employees. And I think it's a testament to the fact that I intentionally show all of that on my calendar. So I know that our team never has to feel like they need to hide that stuff. I think that when you become a parent, and I wouldn't just extend this to motherhood, you start to think about how you want to spend your time. And every moment that you're away from your family, you want to make count. And so that comes into the efficiency with which I operate. It comes back to the mission of why we're building healthy. I could never work at a company where I didn't believe in what I was building. And so it's actually incredible being a startup founder with being a parent because you're working on something that you love and that you know is having a positive impact. And, and so I think it, it's an incredible, it was an incredible milestone for me. Um, I also think that I, I, I manage and lead with a different degree of empathy than I did prior to becoming a parent. And whether that comes down to my belief in having generous mat leave and pat leave policies to ensuring that our team members have really positive day-to-day experiences and knowing that there's always going to be life outside of work and you know work that has to blend into life. 
Um, and I think that helps set companies up for long-term success. Giving advice to those who may be interested in starting their own digital health companies or joining an early stage startup from your own experience and also what you've observed from working in the healthcare industry. I think if you have an inkling to start a company, you should go for it and do it. There is never going to be a perfect time. There's never going to be a perfect career milestone or stage. And if you have this desire or passion to explore a problem, try it out. There's ways to also do this on a small scale. If you you have that fear of, you know, do I need to go this full time? Do this full time. But it's just really important to jump in and get started knowing that you're never going to have all the right answers. You know, I'm talking on the Wharton Pulse podcast. We'll bring it back to business school for a moment. Healthy was rejected from nearly every single business plan competition, source of funding on campus that could have thwarted us from even getting off the ground. And so it's just really important if you, even if you're feeling those and seeing those early rejections to not give up and keep going, because if you have that conviction, startups take years and years and years and years to really bring off the ground, but it's important to do and and nothing will stop you if you have that passion inside. 